I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Cinda McDonald. She's part of a supportive and palliative care program that supports seriously ill or injured patients, but they also recognize the importance of supporting the children that are loved by those adult patients. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. So I'm here with Cinda McDonald today, and we are talking really about a specialized program that Baylor Scott and White Health in Texas is doing, and I'm really happy to give light to this program because it's rare. But Cinda, before we jump into exactly what um, you do, tell us a little bit about your role at BSW Health. So I'm the manager of the Palliative Care Child Life Services team for Better Scott and White Health System. Um, I'm a working manager so that in addition to managerial responsibilities, I'm also providing direct support of palliative care child life support to families. And when when did Baylor Scott Health realized that palliative care child life services were needed for children dealing with a sick or injured adult. And maybe we should even back up and talk to us a little bit about what what is the day in day activities that you and your staff do. So we're consulted to work with families um, throughout the hospital. They can be supportive and palliative care patients, but they don't have to be. They do have to have a serious life limiting condition, whether that's an illness or injury. Um, when we meet with families, we initially meet with the adults, um, so whether that's the patient or the patient's spouse or um, patient's adult children, we meet with them first to explain more about what we do and to, to begin to empower them with information to help support their kids through these types of situations. So we want to make sure they understand we're not coming in to tell them what to do or that they've been doing anything wrong, but more to give them information and, and to offer that additional layer of support. So basically, you've been working with adults with, you know, being sick and through your palliative care program. But you guys also saw, you know, recognize that the children involved um, with these adults who are sick or injured really were needing some services, too. Yes. Um, so Dr. Robert Fine, he's the clinical director of clinical ethics and palliative care for the Baylor Scott and White Health System. He um, tells this story um, that he found himself in this situation many years ago. He had been working with a man who, I believe he was 35, who had advanced cancer. They'd come to the point where they realized all curative treatment options were exhausted. So Dr. Fine sat down with a couple to explain that to them. Um, at the end of their discussion, the wife looked at Dr. Fine and said, okay, now I need you to explain this to our two little boys. So Dr. Fine said he fumbled his way through that conversation with the boys, but he did fulfill their request. But it was really at that moment that he recognized there had to be a better way and that in order for palliative care team to be providing support to the entire family of the patient they're serving, there has to be someone on the team who's trained to support the youngest members in the family, the children. So he, he knew that child life specialists were the professionals for that role and that they need to be on the adult supportive and palliative care service. And that's where this whole child life specialist, that name um, came up. And so tell me a little bit about what does a child life or what is a child life specialist? 
Uh, Child Life Specialist is a professional who's trained with expertise in working with children and their families during difficult and traumatic situations. So um, we're responsible for educating caregivers, uh, professionals, and, and the public about the impact that significant stress on children, uh, that of the impact of significant stress on children, and how to work with, ch- with a child or children facing serious illness, death, or trauma. So um, after we obtain our required academic degrees and complete a clinical internship in, pa- in pediatric health care, child life specialists obtain and maintain certification through the Association of Child Life Professionals. Wow. So you guys are really specifically trained um, in pediatric health care, but, but you and your team work also in the adult health care arena too, correct? Yes. So um, all child life specialists are trained in a traditional child life role. So that means that we work with children in pediatric healthcare settings as they navigate their own illness or injury. But um, the field of child life is evolving and it's become recognized that our foundational skill set from the traditional role can be translated and utilized in a non-traditional child life setting. So like my team, for instance, is practicing non-traditional child life as we provide support to well children who are loved by an adult patient with a serious life-limiting illness or injury. Now, what are you seeing some of these children that you, that you work with? Because, you know, we, we talk about grief a lot in, in end of life, and we're not really good at dealing with grief in our, you know, end of life services, even us who work in end of life. But you're trying to provide this foundation for children to start dealing with kind of grief, whether their their loved one is, is sick and dying or that their loved one has been injured and it's going to radically change the living situation and how they live. And so you guys, this childlike specialist, you work with pe- the children that are well to deal with their own grief about something ending and here's the new situation, correct? Right. So, you know, grief or even anticipatory grief in response to a change is coming. We know it's going to be big. Um, but the grief that kids are feeling, you know, it, it's not just about a loss. It's at least a loss of a person. You know, the grief can be um, the impact of having to change schools because now they need to be, they need to move because they can't afford their home and need to, you know, move to live closer to the grandparents because the grandparents now have to help take care of them or, you know, other big changes in their life. Now they can't afford to go to their baseball practice and be on the baseball team anymore because daddy's been sick for such a long time. They don't have enough money to do that. So in addition to just the fact that their person is seriously ill um, or injured and or dying, um, they are dealing with these other stressors that can create grief for them, you know, when they're in such a young stage of their life. And, you know, as adults, you know, it's hard for us to, you know, look within ourselves and, and find the life lessons that have taught us how to cope with these situations. But these kids haven't had those life lessons yet. And, and so we need to help them to first understand what's happening, but help them find a way to cope with it as well. I love this program. I absolutely love what you're doing for children. I think that you, you guys, Dr. Fine, who is amazing, has touched on something that I think is needed in every community in this United States. Um, I, I just really applaud uh, BSW Health um, for creating and thinking about even supporting this program. But but is your program reimbursable? Well, actually, no. 
it can't be reimbursed. Um, child life services can't be billed for or reimbursed. So our services are provided to patients and families at no charge, which to them, you know, when we walk in a room and explain who we are and tell them that there's no charge for our services, I mean, we've had patients actually cry, you know, just hearing that there's someone to support them and there's not going to be another fee, you know, tacked onto their bill at the end of all this. So um, Baylor Scott and White Health recognized the value and importance of our services, but they also knew that they would not likely be able to add this service line to their hospital budget. So our salaries, as well as all the materials and supplies that we utilize, are funded solely by philanthropic dollars. So the Baylor Scott and White Health Foundation works to identify opportunities to tell people about our program and to encourage them to consider donating funds, because my team and I rely on the generosity of these individuals and organizations who provide the funding that allows us to keep our positions and to keep this program up and running. Well, I will say this. Uh, I, I feel that people need to support this even outside your system. What children, you know, when children don't deal well with change or death or grief, um, it comes out as other ways as the child grows up and you radically changing these children's lives by allowing them healthy ways to deal with their situation. And I just, I applaud, I applaud you guys. And, and I know that it takes special people like yourself, but you know, tell me a little bit about how many child life specialists do you have? Um, well, right now we have, including me, um, we have a team of seven full-time palliative care child life specialists, and we all exclusively support the well children loved by seriously ill adult patients. Um, six of us work in North Texas on Baylor Scott and White Health campuses, and our newest palliative care child life specialist is in Central Texas at our campus in Temple. So, but in addition to the campuses where we are actually physically located, we also provide phone support to other Baylor Scott and White Health campuses that um, contact us and request our support for families that they're working with. So your healthcare system has taken this very serious. There's just not one or two of you. There are several of you in several different locations that are providing this type of support for children. Yes, they're, they're all in. <laughs> so it's great that they've taken that so seriously. I think that is amazing. That says a lot about the healthcare system. Um, a lot. And it. I, I'm just really pleased to hear um, that such a program is so innovative and it's not reimbursable. You're, it's donations coming in to support this, but it sounds like your community is really rallying around and really loves this program and what it's doing for their community. Yes. And it's, you know, it's been so helpful that the patients and families we work with, you know, also tout the, the service, you know, and, and tell others about it. And, and that also, you know, helps to bring in additional funding because, you know, they know someone who knows someone who wants to put funding towards a program they believe in. And, and that helps us tremendously. Well, can you share like a child's success story? Um, I know you have probably tons of them, but I would love to hear a little bit about um, a, a story about how this benefited a child. Oh, I'd be happy to. I, I mean, there are, like you said, there are tons of stories, but, you know, we have those stories with families that just touch a particular cord and, you know, find a place in your heart and, you know, that's where they're going to stay. So um, one that really stands out to me is involves a young mother who had a really aggressive type of cancer um, along with her husband and they had a five-year-old son. Uh, I'll just call him Sam. 
Um, so we were consulted by Dr. Fine when this mother was hospitalized, and, and she had mentioned to him that she was really worried about Sam's behavioral changes. So I met with the patient and her husband and learned that even though she had been diagnosed eight months earlier, they had not told Sam anything about her condition. So when she would have to go into the hospital for care, they just told Sam that mommy had to be in the hospital to get vitamins so that she could feel better. So when I met with them, I talked to them a lot about the importance of open and honest communication with Sam, but also talked about questions and worries that he might have in accordance to his developmental age. Um, we talked about behavioral changes that are really typical and can occur in response to his stress and how they could emotionally support him as they all walk through this medical journey. Um, at that time, they told me that Sam was acting out at preschool. They said he had become so clingy that he couldn't even go to school without often being overcome with anxiety. Um, he would become so inconsolable that the staff would have to call and ask for his dad to come pick him up. And this was becoming a regular occurrence, and they didn't, they, they couldn't understand where this was stemming from. So he would, he was also at a point where he couldn't tolerate sleeping in his own bed, and he started having toileting accidents, and even though he'd been potty trained for a long time. So that's really a common thing that we see in young kids as well, is that regression. So um, at that time, I really encouraged them to tell Sam about his mom's condition, and we kind of sat down and scripted out the words for that conversation. But unlike um, so many parents that we work with, they were really hesitant about using the word cancer. And so I explained that children generally don't have the same connotations with that word that we as adults do. And for children, you're really just giving the illness a name. So I followed up with them and learned that they had followed through and had talked with Sam about his mom's cancer. So I was really glad to hear that. And they told me they were really surprised that just after that initial conversation, they had noticed that some of Sam's behavior seemed to improve slightly. So as we talked more, I explained that just by getting some information about what's going on, it can bring children a lot of comfort and help ease some of their stress because when they know something serious is going on, but no one's giving them that information, they're left to try to figure it out themselves. And a lot of times when they're trying to fill in the blanks of what's going on, it's, it's completely in, inaccurate. So that open and honest communication is just pivotal. Why isn't this program nationwide? Why, why isn't this program everywhere? Well, I think, you know, a big part of it is that um, it isn't necessarily something that healthcare systems think about because you know, child life services and adult healthcare is really a new concept, and and these services aren't reimbursable, and hospital budgets generally aren't able to support this type of program programming. But I think you know we are now starting to see more and more traditional child life programs that are being consulted to work with adult units and their hospital to support these children of adult patients. So I think that it's starting to catch on but I, I believe it's going to take a long time before we see this as a typical service in adult facilities. Well, you know, and I know that there are grief camps out there, but it's nothing like dealing with a child in the midst of a crisis to help them. Um, and I mean, just listening to the story that you refer to as the young child as Sam for HIPAA guideline reasons, but that that's devastating for a preschooler to be so overwhelmed and y'all come in give some pointers, help the family through this. And the ease of that child just to hear 
that I think the, the adults need to hear that it's okay to be honest. And even though you don't want to give them all the facts, you've got to be as upfront as you can. Now, do you help families with some language about what to say and what not to say or how children perceive certain things? Yes, we do. We, we can spend a lot of time with families with what we call scripting conversations and explaining um, the importance of using the real terminology just like when kids are learning about their own anatomy, you know, we encourage that to be with real words and we want these types of conversations to be with the real words. And even with what we call the D words, you know, if we're talking about dying or death or someone has already died, um, it's even if the child isn't at an age where they can completely understand all of the words that you're saying as far as them being the technical words, it's important for them to hear you talking about that because then they know they can talk about that. And they also know it's okay to talk about it to other people. So, you know, a lot of families really keep this um, secret without meaning to. And it, it's very, it can be very harmful for a child to feel like, first of all, they're alone because they don't know what's going on. You know, they, they kind of get put on the back burner a lot of times, you know, not neglected, but certainly not being educated about the situation. And, you know, the, by giving them permission to talk, it can really break down a lot of their, um, their walls as well. You know, they can, they can feel free to share their emotions. And it's also easier for families to understand when they're seeing their child, you know, behave in, in different ways that they know what it's stemming from because they know that these conversations are going on. But they also know, you know, they can help their child to cope with it. It's oh, so important. Now, what's scary is that this is a new program and a new innovative approach that not many health systems um, are supporting because it's a financial thing. I mean, it, everything costs money, but your healthcare system um, has taken the huge leap of faith that they wanted to serve their children um, and and give them your staff skills to help them through these crises. But if children don't receive this type of service, what are some of the negative outcomes that they may see down the road? Well, there are actually a lot of well-documented um, negative impacts of parental illness and death during childhood. Um, you can look into a lot of research literature and see that, you know, there's um, oftentimes drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, uh, dropping out of high school, depression, mental illness, in, and an increased risk of suicide. And there's, there's even a correlation um, between parental illness and death during childhood and um, how that child grows up into an adult and their health can be neg negatively impacted. It can have you know, long-reaching effects. And luckily, experts you know, are, believe that child life services can help shorten both long-term and um, the shorter-term negative effects. By just giving the child permission and knowledge of, uh, you know, there's, I recall, you know, many years working in hospice care, we had a grief counselor and she was telling me a story one day about how, you know, the family said to the child that, you know, granddaddy went to heaven and the child kept asking the parents that they, he wanted to go to heaven to visit. Right. Um, and it, it really opened my eyes to the interpretation of what we say and how a child might misconstrue some of this stuff. Right. You know, heaven's a very abstract term. 
And, you know, it's hard for us to describe what it is and understand it, much less, you know, a little tiny person who hasn't had, ha- doesn't have the developmental understanding that death is even permanent. So it's, it's very confusing. And we've had a lot of kids who, well, the parents have told us, yes, they understand what's happening because we told them that dad probably won't go home with us or dad's not going to make it out of here or dad's going to go to heaven. Well, all of those are very abstract you know, explanations. And so it, for a child, it's like, what do you mean he's not going to make it home with? Why aren't we going to take him home? You know, well, if he's going to heaven, can't we just bring him back? You know, or can't we go see him? You know, it, it doesn't make sense to them. We have to use those, that real, real blunt, concrete language to help them understand really what's happening. Well, and when we're talking to children about a sick loved one, or death and dying, it's really important that we get it right. What are some of the recommendations for us adults um, in seeking resources prior to talking to children about these topics? Um, Well, I know there are a lot of really great um, children's grief support organizations in communities around the country, um, but also online. So a lot of those um, organizations have resources on their websites to help assist adults with these types of conversations. And if you're in a community that has a children's hospital and you could call and ask to be connected with the child life department there, because they do have to explain death and dying to children who are dying and or their siblings. So they're very versed in this as well. They can often provide you with a lot of guidance and and can provide some uh, recommendations for community organizations too. But uh, there are a lot of books that are really helpful. One that we recommend a lot is called Helping Children Through a Parent's Serious Illness. Um, It is written by Kathleen McHugh, who is a child life specialist. And it's one that's broken down into really short chapters so that you can just search for what you need to talk about or what you're needing to know. You find that little chapter and you don't have to read the whole book. But I think more than anything, I'm just, I just want to encourage adults as they, you know, start to walk into those, you know, unknown waters of, you know, serious illness is just to be open and honest, you know, when talking to, the, talking to their kids. Just like you said, being open and honest doesn't mean you have to give them all the details. But children need to trust their parents are telling them the truth. And I think most parents would agree that they would rather be the one that provides that information to their children as opposed to their children jumping on the Internet to look for their answers themselves, which they do. And we have very young ones that will be looking for information because they tell us they're doing that. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That, oh, this is I, I want this everywhere. Um, we need to clone you and your team because it's, uh, I mean, you, I know you must have tough days, but I hope you and your team know how important you guys are to future generations and helping these kids deal with that. Now, you, this is not a reimbursable services like we said earlier. What if someone is hearing your story and says, you know what, I want, I want to donate some of my funds um, to that organization who is 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 taking care of children in Texas. Um, how do how do people support you? Well, they can definitely reach out to me. Um, and and if it's a financial support that they're interested in contributing, then I can put them in touch with our Baylor Foundation, um, and they can walk them through that process. But if they're just interested in knowing more about how they might begin to initiate a program like this in their community. Um, again, I'm happy to you know, start that conversation and, and offer them some resources and some information to kind of 
get that conversation started. Well, I think everyone should somehow figure out how to do this program. And, you know, you like you said, there are child life specialists out there dealing with sick children, and they might could be some resources for um, those children who are well, but are dealing with a sick loved one or injured loved one. So please, if you're interested, call Cinda. I will have her email address hooked to um, this podcast. So please, if you're interested in learning more about this wonderful, wonderful program that came from an idea and an experience that Dr. Fine, who is a fine physician out um, with this health system, very amazing individual. And I I can't say enough about you, Sunda. Your passion for what you do, it makes me passionate about what you do. Well, thank you. I'm I'm extremely proud of our program and and just I'm happy to share, share that information with others and hope to inspire other people to begin these kind of programs in other healthcare facilities. Well, I, I, next time you're with your team, can you just tell them we, the world is watching and thank you for taking the biggest leap to help these children and we salute you. And thanks for changing how children deal with grief. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.